All right, good morning. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, music team. Good to see you this morning. You know, we're starting to see some people's faces we haven't seen in a long time. And it's good to see your face. We've even got people that sit up on the front row this morning. You're talking about brave. I mean, normally we don't have anybody in the front row. That's, that's encouraging, though, so thank you for coming. Well, we've been in a series the past couple of weeks, and it actually shifted a gear. Have y'all ever had that happen? Sometimes, you know, when you're preaching, when you're studying, when you're thinking, God moves you in another direction. What, this is how all this happened. I need to be transparent and share my heart with you this morning. Late last year, you know, every pastor decides what he thinks God wants him to preach in the upcoming year, and you start to put this down on your preaching calendar because you're wanting to take your people in a certain direction. And you, you're praying, asking God, Lord, what does our church need this year? What do you need to do in our life to help us to be more like you? What do you need to do in our church, whether it be change something in our life or change something about us? By the way, we don't like change, do we? People in general don't like change. But we all change. All you have to do is look in the mirror, right? We change. And the older you get, the more you realize, the faster you change, and you really don't like it. But nevertheless, we, we look and we say, what do you want to change in us, and what do you want to make us to be? Now, if you remember, and you're part of Trinity, or you've seen our website in the past, we had a mission statement on our website that basically said that we are making more and better disciples, okay? And so I started asking the question, what is a disciple? And you can't answer it, and I can't either. And we saw that last week. I took you on a little journey last week. you remember? What is a disciple? And somebody said, well, that's a follower. Well, that's good. It is a follower. But we made some statements last week about believers and disciples. And if you think that I made a dichotomy where a disciple is more spiritual than a believer, then erase that out of your mind because that's not at all what I was trying to do. There's not a one grows into the other, but there is this concept of disciple. And I'm going to finish what I started last week, but I'm going to talk to you heart to heart about our church. So as I began to pray, oh God, what do you want us to do? I came across a statement that somebody said. He said, lead pastor... In your mission statement, if each of your people from your children to your oldest senior adult can't explain your mission statement, change it. Change it because it's too complicated. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm a simple guy. I, I mean, it's got to be simple. I, I want it simple. And so when I start thinking about, you know, making more and better disciples, what, what does that look like? Nobody can paint that picture. And I'm going to break it down in a minute. But here's something that, that we can paint. Lord, what do you want to do in our life? What do you want to do in our church? And by the way, all of us as individual people make up this church. We are the members of the body of this church. And so I put out this question. What is God's purpose for your life? Now, two weeks ago, I shared a message about our life must abide in Christ. If we want to produce anything in our life or we want the Lord to do anything, 
we have to stay connected to the vine. When we are connected to the vine, what does he do? His life flows through us and he produces much fruit, which brings glory to God. When we come together collectively as a church and we do that together, what happens in our life? Well, hopefully, change. And you know, one of the things, I I shared this earlier, one of the things when you think through this, you start asking yourself the question, you know, what does God want me to do individually and then us as a church? We've shared this before, but let let me just give you a little history about where we're going. We're changing our mission statement, by the way. Forget that making more and better disciples. You don't know what that means? Any better than I do. What does that look? It can look like anything. We're going to change that. I'm going to reveal the new one to you today. Aren't you excited? Boy, I am. Don't y'all like excitement? I like something that when God changes lives and changes us, gives us motivation and purpose and vision, we've got things to do here. Brian and I actually have been going through a church consultation. We have hired an outside person to come and share information with us about our church that has rocked us to the core. Change or die, as the old slogan goes. Let me me share one thing with you people who have been at Trinity for a long time. I'm just going to share one, okay? There's more to come. But they were talking about guests. And this is what this church consultant said. He said, You've got to make your people stop thinking of new people who come in as visitors or guests. Stop that. They are not visitors. They are not guests. A visitor implies they're just coming by to stay the night and leave. And a guest implies they're just coming in to do whatever and go. They are people. And this is what they said. If you are blessed enough to have people from your community, search out your church, get out of bed, get themselves ready, come here to be on time, and walk through a church door, you are blessed. Now let me say something first of all. Trinity's blessed. We, in my 10 years here, we have had hundreds, hundreds of people come through these doors and sit and listen and visit and watch and several leave. And as a pastor, you always wonder, why do people leave? You don't know. Well, you know, sometimes you need somebody to come in and help you, don't you? Don't y'all need that? Well, here's what this consultant said that rattled us to the core. He said, when a guest pulls in your parking lot, the first thing they're looking for, remember, they've never been there. They're looking for a sign that says, where do I park? Where do I go? Thankfully, we have these signs up now, but... Where is our guest parking? They're looking for somewhere to park. When they park, now they're asking, which door do I go in? I've never been to this place. And so Trinity, as you all know, if you don't know, is the most confusing building in Montgomery County. I have had people do exit surveys left and right to describe their first impression of Trinity. It's it's heartbreaking. And we're blessed to have a building, but I'm going to tell you something. It's heartbreaking. I've had confusing maze prison prison no windows no light steel door i mean prison closed 
But here's what a guest is looking for when they walk in the door. Is this church expecting me? Are, are they expecting us? Is this a place where we fit, where we can serve, where we can have our spiritual needs met? Can we be fed from God's Word? Can we grow? Are there people in this church that I can share my life with and relate to? Are there things here for my children? Are there people here who love my children and are willing to serve them and, and meet their needs? Can they have friends here? And by the way, I want you to hear me closely. If you don't meet those needs in people's life, they're gone. They are gone. This has been a time where we stop and we ask hard questions. And you know, one of our goals here at Trinity, just to kind of recap, I have, like I said, I've been here 10 years. One of the things that every church needs to have in its community is a longing. We, we have to desire change in our community. And when, when a community looks at a church, they have to know that that church is making a difference in the lives of people. If they don't, folks, the church is not important. We are not a religious club that gets together to talk about people and things we don't like. We are a group of people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, and He's transformed our life, and we want to live by His Word and get involved in the life of other people and help them be changed. So in order to do that, when we collectively come to, together, we have to have a plan. And so when we came here, we, we evaluated this, and we said, what are we doing in Trinity to reach our community? There wasn't a lot. You all know there was like 40 people when I came here 10 years ago. 40. And we said, we're going to start launching some groups and we're going to meet needs in our community because I'm going to tell you something that happens in every life and that is death. Every person here is going to be shaken by death. We were shaken by death. You all know this. As death hit our family hard, we knew what it did. So we wanted to meet the needs of people with grief. The second thing we wanted to meet the needs of was divorce because the church should get on its knees and beg for forgiveness for what we have done to divorce people. I mean, we have elevated the sin of divorce and treated divorced people like they have leprosy to where they don't even want to hearken a church door because they don't think God loves them or can use them. That's ridiculous. 50% of the population has experienced divorce. What are we going to do with that? Well, we better do what God wants us to do. And that's reach out to them and point them to Jesus and let, him not, let them know that He wants to change their life. Your life is not destroyed over a divorce or a sin or something. Stop thinking that way. And the church has done a terrible job at that. So we wanted to start a divorce care program. You know what else we wanted to start? We wanted to start a single and parenting group. Because look at the parents that are divorced, and now you think about the parents that are having to raise children alone. Now you want to talk about something hard. It's hard enough raising them with a mom and a dad. But when you lose a mom and you got one parent in the home, that is hard. We wanted to meet that need. 
Well, we started the program. Guess what happened? We had little old bitty rooms down this side. Some of y'all have never examined our building. But if you go down this hallway right here, you'll notice we have, it doesn't look like anything else in our building except our bathrooms. Why, they're, they're big, they're open, they've got glass, individual climate controls, new floor, they look wonderful. We realize this, you know what, we, if we're going to meet the needs of people, we've got to get more than seven in a room. Little old concrete wall, no, no windows, looks like a cell. A guy in our community who used to go to Trinity came here, we shared our vision with him and said, this is what we're wanting to do. We, we called that the outreach hall. Did y'all know that? We didn't do that for Sunday school classes. That is the outreach hall. We wanted a place where people could come from our community and come into a nice, clean, crisp place that had some type of an atmosphere that was welcome, welcoming and open, and they knew that we cared about them. And this guy came in and helped us tear this side out and bought the material largely by himself and helped us provide all the labor to fix this whole hall. We did it all by ourselves under his leadership. He said, I, I want to see you all change this. A lot of people don't even know this story because he didn't want us telling it. Well, he's gone now, and I'm going to tell it. And then we started talking about not only are guests coming in and they expect them to be welcomed and loved and the community expected to be reached, but when they come to your building, you know, your building is either a help and a tool or it's a hindrance. Did you know that? This building is just a tool, by the way. It is a tool in our toolbox. And part of our responsibility as times change are to change the building. And so what we did after we got the outreach wing, we said we've got to bust this foyer out and open here. We've got to get some glass open on the outside so that people can see in this building because, by the way, people don't even know largely what this church is. Did you know that? We used to have bushes grown up in front of the church. You couldn't see this church. It looked like a fortress secluded back in here, a, a hideaway. We don't want to be a hideaway. We want to be a lighthouse. You don't put a lighthouse behind a bush. You put a lighthouse out where people can see it. And so the bushes got cut, praise God, and a new road got put in. Wasn't that wonderful? I went over across the road one day, and I walked over to these businesses. And can I ask you a question? Yes. What is that building across the street right there? I have no clue. You have no clue? No. Which one? Oh, you know, we saw that after they cut those bushes away. We don't know what, see, what is that? Huh, I don't know. Is that a church? Is that a church? Yes, it's a church. That is a church. Well, we saw that pointy thing up on the top, and we thought that might be a steeple, but we weren't sure. And, oh, we see the cross now. It blended in back there, but now we see it. Okay, it's a church. Well, what do y'all believe? Now, then that opened the conversation. By the way, did, I'm telling you this for a reason. Buildings speak. Did you know that? Buildings speak. They tell people who you are. When people drive by the road, if they look in this building and it's closed and shut down and what it, it looks closed, but if it's open and there's light flowing in, and there is a, a central message. What is our central message? It's the cross. 
We, we are pointing people to Jesus. What do we do when divorced people or grief people or single parents come here? What do we tell them that's going to change their life? The same thing that changed our life. Jesus. He radically changed my life. Did he change yours? And I have seen him break chains in multiple lives. This is our hope, folks. It's not up to us to change people's life. It's our Savior. And so what we wanted to do was move our offices out, put them in the admin building, and then take this front foyer out here and make it into a, an open place that was welcoming, inviting, and are you ready? On purpose. When people walk into our building, I am here and they are expecting me. There's somebody standing back there and knows that I don't come to this church and they go to those people and say, hey, what is your name? What, why are you, can we help you? Where? And, and they start building a relationship immediate with them. And what would be lovely is if they had groups that they could connect them to and say, hey, you've got small kids. We've got this group. It's got small kids. We want you to connect with them. And here's a cup of coffee. Please take a cup of coffee in the church. God won't send a lightning bolt because you drink coffee in the church. And go in there and enjoy a worship service. And may God move your heart. And here's my number. You text me if I can help you. I'm going to be praying for you. You say, well, that, that's not me. I'm not that open. I'm an introvert. I'm right there with you. But I'm going to tell you something. There are loads of people in our church who are just like that. And we've been praying God would bring them in. And this is what we want to see transformed in our, in our building. We're wanting to start building on that building. We're wanting to start building on that front. We're waiting on the funds. We've had some people give some large donations. I don't know who they are. We're waiting on the funds. This is not a building campaign. We're not going to hire somebody to come here and try to trick you into talking about getting this building done. But when Jesus wants that front done, the money will be raised for that building. We've paid for everything else, including our brand new bathrooms. And when Jesus wants that four-year change and this red carpet out of this building, he's going to bring the money. And we only like half, and we're there. So if you have the funds and you think Jesus will put that on your heart, do it. Help us get there. We're ready to hire and sign papers with the contractor today. Because we think God's going to take this church and use it in this community in a way that is going to beat all of our expectations. I'm telling you, folks, we haven't even started did you hear me? With one click of a button, with one click of a button, we can subscribe to a social media platform and pay them money, and it will ping every person within 10 miles of our church and start advertising Trinity, advertising things for them, for their children, for divorce care, for grief share, single and parenting, for all kinds of things. We have. Are you ready? Are you all ready for this? We're not ready for that. I'm going to be blunt with you. We are not ready. We've got to get ready. Because God's going to do it. God's going to bring us people here. Even if we have to hire people, God's going to bring us here, bring us people here to help us do exactly what He wants us to do. And if we have to hire those people or search them out, we're going to hire them and we're going to search them out. And we want to see this place change. We are not going to stay here until I retire and this 
this church not change. We're going to change for the glory of God. If you think I'm radical or crazy, then go ahead and shoot me right now and get rid of me. Because Almighty God has lit a fire in my heart. And He's done it through several different avenues. But there's a lot of things we're going to have to do. And we're going to do them. Now, let's answer this question. What is God's purpose in your life? You know, one of the ways we answer this question is by going to God's Word and finding out what happened. Let's go there quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Timothy, Silas, Silvanus, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Listen to what Paul says. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are in Thessalonians, you should write down Acts 17. Paul, in the book of Acts, started this church. He went in to preach, into a synagogue there. They didn't like what he said. They beat him. A man named Jason let him in his house. They flogged and beat Jason and said, don't you let those crazy people back in here. But guess what happened? Paul preached the gospel. And this is what he said. Almighty God became flesh. And as he was promised to come all the way back from the Old Testament, that God would send someone to break the curse of sin that man was under, God has sent that one, and his name was Jesus. And he came to take upon himself the wrath of God for our sin, and he died on a cross. He was buried and he rose again to shatter the sin payment in your life. And he didn't just pay for your sin but He gave you something that would get you all the way into third heaven. And that is His righteousness. So that when you believe in Him, not only are you forgiven of your sin, but you stand before the Father as totally righteous. You are as righteous as Jesus Himself when you accept the gospel. Whew, what a message. And if you're as unrighteous as I am, when you hear that, it changes your life. And you say, oh God, what love you, you have shown me and the change you've made in my life. I don't want to do the things I used to do. Now I, I want to be different. And I see people with all these brokenness in their life and they need you. And so these Thessalonians, the gospel, when they heard it and believed it, it transformed them. Now, notice these little phrases up here. I didn't underline them. You see that little phrase? Paul says, when I remember your work of faith. Well, when you study the Greek text, which none of you do, thank goodness. I wish I hadn't had to. But one good thing it did was it made me slow down and ask some questions. And here's the question. What is faith doing? And so when you look at that, let's read it this way. Remembering before our God and Father your faith that produced work. Your 
love that produced labor and your hope that produced steadfastness. So faith, love, hope. I think Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 13, didn't he? Faith that produced something, love that produced something, and hope that produced something. Okay, good. We can't help but thank God for you. Listen to what Paul said. Every time I walk around and I look at a father who's bending down helping his child across Ty's shoe or helping him across the road, I think about those Thessalonians because that's exactly how they acted with one another. They saw a need and they were right there to meet it. And I thank God for you. Look at verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You received the word in much affliction. You know what happened? Congress and the Senate must have passed the Equality Act. And you know what they said? You are not going to let your religion leak out of your building. You're going to be quiet. Do you all know what the Equality Act is? You read your email this week, didn't you? Because I told you to call your senator, because if you don't, there will be laws against preaching truth. There will, did you hear me? There will be laws against preaching truth. But it's like I told the early service, and I'll go online, and I'll say this. We don't fear men. We don't fear government. We are not going to be quiet. We are not going to bow. We're going to preach the Word of God. We're going to say what God says because we didn't make it up. We don't decide whether it ought to be preached or how it ought to be preached or what should be said. We are told to preach the whole counsel of God, whether it offends Congress or every other person in the world. We don't present it that way. But this is God's message, and we are simply His ambassadors, and we're not going to cower. You pass whatever you want to. You beat whoever you want. You, you imprison whoever you want. Take whatever tax benefits you want away. We don't give to God because we want a tax credit for it anyway. Take it. Take it. We're going to talk and we're going to share God's word. We're going to be honest. We're going to be up front. And we don't care what it costs. And we're going to have joy while we do it. Did you know that? Joy. We don't hate anyone, folks. Listen to me. There is no one who loves LGBTQIAC people more than Christians. They are people. You hear me for a minute. They are people. And what we want to do is point them to Jesus so that they know the purpose that God has for their life according to His Word, not according to anybody's opinion, according to His Word. We love them. Now, that doesn't mean we agree with them. But you know, a few years ago, you could love someone and not agree with them and be tolerant. 
because you accept their view, they accept your view. Tolerance has changed. They control the dictionary now. The word tolerance and the definition has changed, but the bottom line is this. The church may be persecuted and we may be on our way, but so what? Maybe that's what we need. Maybe that's what the American church needs is a little persecution. We've had it easy for a long time. Maybe it's time. I don't know. But you know what Paul said? Look at what he said. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. You know why their faith went forth everywhere? Because of persecution and their response. And what, what does that mean? It's gone forth from Macedonia and Achaia. That would be like Paul writing and saying to the church in Christiansburg, your faith and your involvement has sounded forth in the New River Valley so that the whole New River Valley is talking about you and not just the New River Valley, all of southwest Virginia knows that God is working in that church and He's changing people's life and transforming them. The gospel changed you that much. So that we need not say a thing, Paul says. Paul says we don't even have to go anywhere and go, you know about them Thessalonians? Oh, yeah, we know about them. Those are the idol smashers. Th those are the ones who smashed the idols they used to worship. Those are the ones who used to be in bondage to addictions. They used to be enslaved to sin and flesh and world. But Jesus transformed their life. And those people who used to be so enslaved to those things are now moms and dads with a purpose. They're living their life to train their children to love Jesus and to do what He says. They're involved in their community, reaching out into the lives of people who are broken and hurting through their jobs and through their church. And they're not afraid of man. Did you all hear me? They are not afraid of man. Those Thessalonians are not afraid of man. When it came down to do they speak for Jesus or do they speak for their job, brother, they're a Christian before they're an employee. You say, well, oh, no. wait a minute. You're getting a little too excited up there, preacher. Listen to me. What changes the Thessalonians and the, the people in the Middle East and makes them different from Western Christians is they are a Christian first, and their profession is second. In the West, we have a profession first, and our Christianity second. I'm going to tell you something. An Egyptian changed my life in this. He stood up and introduced himself one day. He said, my name is, and I won't say his name. He said, I am a born-again Christian, and I'm also a medical doctor. I do this and that. After I, was said, I said, you know, that's interesting. I said, you know, when we introduce ourselves in the West, we say, you know, Hi, I'm, I'm this and this is my job. And what He went, yes, because you have your priorities wrong in the West. He said, you don't understand that when you become a Christian, the Christian is what guides your life. He said, the only reason I'm a medical doctor is to support my Christianity. I can be floor sweeper, janitor, I can be whatever, 
I'm Christian first. God just let me be doctor. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Look at the transformation in their life. And here was their hope to wait for His Son from heaven who He raised from the day of Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, Patrick, get me over on my next slide. So here's the point. When you take those verses... And you ask the question, all right, we hear 1 Thessalonians, we hear what you're saying, the purpose of our church, purpose of our life. What are five characteristics of a church or of an individual that we have to have? These are the essential. What are, what are five characteristics we have to have to bring glory to God? By the way, folks, this is our new mission. You ready? Number one, love. We have to have love. Jesus tells us that we are to what? Love God, love others. I have kind of pounded on that this morning about loving guests, why we're doing the front of our building, why we're doing that. This is not for us. You know, I heard somebody say the other day, well, you know, we don't need that here. We're fine with what we got. It's not about us. It is not about us. It is about the guests the people in our community who are wanting to come here and connect and serve and worship, and we can't even get them past the foyer. Hear me, folks. Hear me carefully. I gave this illustration earlier. I'm going to give it now because we all know this. The country kitchen. I'm not saying anything bad about the country kitchen. I eat there when I can. I had to eat there the first seven years of my life when I was here in Christiansburg. But something I observed about the country kitchen is it's a hometown restaurant. And when you walk in, all the regulars are there. You go in and the seats are torn. The ketchup has crust across the top. The salt shaker's got dried mashed potatoes where somebody got it too close to the food and got gravy on it. And when you look down the crease of the table where they've rubbed the table, all the french fry crumbs and everything else have went right down the side of that table, and you can see all that food growing down there on the sides. Okay? And all the regulars come in and sit in their same booth, and all of that french fry crust and all that down the side is right there. And you know what? They order the same thing they always order. You know why? Because it doesn't bother them. They, that they've seen that. They grow up with it. They know that, and they're going to eat there whether there's hair growing out because they know the food's good and they love the people. Now, I want you to hear me for a minute. Imagine you're wanting to grow a restaurant like that and you're a business owner, and you're placed right in the middle of a thriving neighborhood. And you've got young families with kids. You've got mothers, and now we've got corona, which makes everybody excessive about germs and so forth. And you're wanting to expand your business, and you're wanting to meet the needs of those people. And you don't change. How many of those young folk do you think are going to go in there, or new people, especially if people who have any kind of concept about germs, are going to go in there and eat when they have to scrape the crust off the top of the ketchup to put it on their fries or clean the salt shaker off or clean their fork and all that other stuff. It is not going to happen. 
How many people, if you had a grocery store where when you went to pull in the front of the store, listen to me, you couldn't tell whether you were going in the back of the kitchen, the laundry room, or in another building? How many people would go back to that grocery store? I mean, this is just... So this is what I said to one of the people that shared it. I said, listen, this is not about us. I'm almost 50. You all do realize I have limited time. I can't do this when I'm 80. I can't. It is energy draining, life-consuming, time-taking, and it is pressure. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about transforming the lives of people and trying to make your building functional to where it's a help and not a hindrance. We, we have no option. We've got to do that because we love others. You know, I was sitting there this week as I was doing sermon prep thinking, in this, in this town of Christiansburg, we have grown 4% over the last few years in this town. The largest population in a 15-mile radius here are ages 20 to 24. Did you all know that? That's the largest percentage. You ready for this? Guess who the next age group is? 25 through 32 and 3. That is the next largest age group. Guess who the smallest age group is? You guessed it, guys. Men, 80 and over. And here's what you start asking yourself as a church. Are we going to be here 20 years from now? Are we? Well, that all depends on if we respond by love. We love God. We're going to love others. Now, I'm not trying to coerce you into giving to this building fund. Don't you give one red penny if you don't feel like God wants you to do that. Don't you give a dime. But if you feel like God wants us to get on with the program, we've got a lot to do. I shared with you earlier that I could hit two buttons on my Facebook app and pay a, a small, minuscule fee and ping thousands of people right across the street and say, we've got this for you, that, this. We want to point you and your children to Jesus. We want to help you be a better parent. We want to help you in your struggles. Are you lonely? Are you lonely? We've got something here at this church to meet your needs. Are you, are you addicted? Do you have an addiction? Folks, have you ever had an addiction? Have you ever had an addiction or known somebody's had an addiction? It is life-changing. People are slaves. And they don't know how to break free if you've ever talked to anybody like this. They feel like there's no hope. Have you ever seen Jesus break an addiction? Well, I'm here to tell you I have. What hope we have to offer. Are we ready? Are we ready? We have to love people. Number two, we have to be committed to grow. Not numerically. Notice what is under that, that slogan. Into the image of Christ. Write down Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This is what I'm going to preach. Paul said, I spend my whole ministry striving, struggling, preaching and teaching and warning and begging because one day 
we are going to present you before the Lord Jesus. And we want to present you as a mature believer. You understand this, folks? You want to know why pastors are so passionate about their people? They ought to be. They ought to be passionate. Because one day, Almighty God is going to hold me responsible for what I share with you. And James said, by the way, preacher, (laughs) you listen up, preacher. Don't you desire to be a teacher because you're going to be held to a higher standard. And don't you think I'm not aware of that? That'll drive you to your knees. But I am impassioned about this. We want to see you grow every day of your life closer and closer to the Lord. Because we're going to see Him one day. Love. Grow. What is the next? Connect. Everybody, everybody awake? I need to get y'all to stand up and take your arms and go like this. I'm going to preach all five of these, but I want you to hear me for a minute. This is our greatest struggle. This is our greatest struggle. And we are going to be on our knees praying that God helps us as a church connect all the way from the nursery all the way up to the senior adult. So that when people come to Trinity, they have connections, friends. You know, there's nothing at all wrong with going outside of this church to connect to people. As a matter of fact, you should. We want you to. But a church is not a healthy church that doesn't have a body that connects. Did you hear me? That hurts. We need something to connect our kids. We need something to connect our youth. We need something to connect our college and career people. Young families, singles, divorced people. We need to do it God's way. That's why I love to see gray hair and no hair. We don't want to just build a church out of 24-year-olds. You know what you have when you have a church out of 24-year-olds? I won't say it or I'll get in trouble. We need older folks. They are our stability. They've been through life. But we got to connect older folks with younger ones. And younger with older. And we're striving to do this, by the way. We're in pursuit. You're going to see our whole church get realigned. Are you all hearing me? We're going to do a total realignment. And some of you may get mad at me. You may, oh, golly, I can't believe We're going to line up to love, to grow, to serve. You know what the next one is? To serve. <laughs> we want to create an atmosphere where every person here is serving in some way with your gift. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's encouraging. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's teaching, singing. I don't know. But we want to have, we we are striving for 100% involvement. I know we probably won't get that. That's what we're striving for. Love, grow, connect, serve. You know what the last one is? Reach. Reach. Our community here, 
and then beyond our community to the world. Now, I could go back from 1 Thessalonians, and here was my little exercise. Church in Thessalonica, church in Philippi, church in Ephesus, all these churches, here's, here's what you can do. I'll give you this exercise. I went through all these churches, and I started scouring. Boom, 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 boom. Painstaking, because we're having to change our mission statement and all of it. Do you know how much work that is? Realigning everything and changing things. and That is a ton of work. And Josh is gone now, so you know, you know who that's on, right? <laughs> not, not throwing guilt on you, Josh. But we're not techie guys. We, go, we have to realign and do it. Now listen to me for a minute. We start praying about this and we start searching all these New Testament churches and we find out right here is the progression. That church loves God and loves others and guess what happens? They start growing into the image of Christ. When they grow into the image of Christ, something automatically happens in their life. They share how hard it is to grow in Christ. By the way, that's hard. This this is where... This is where churches need to be shattered. Stop this perfection. Stop that. Do you know that perfectionism is a hindrance to the gospel? People would act like they got it all together. That is a hindrance to the gospel. Stop lying. You don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. And you don't either. So stop acting like you do. Be honest. Be real. People people need transparency and they need real young people need realness not phony baloney i started out this way i've struggled god wants to do this in my life and i'm telling you it's hard do you know how hard it is to be a young parent and be consistent with your children and sometimes i'm not i can remember here hearing my wife you know there are young couples here that struggle with that And some older mothers need to come by and go, Honey, we know that. We know it's hard, but don't you quit because every day of your life and every minute you spend pouring in that child, you're building character in their life. You hang in there. And every dad who's wrestling with a teenager, who's trying to live his life in front of them, he's trying to share truth with them, and they don't want to hear it. He's like, Well, if they don't want to hear it, then I just won't say it anymore. Don't you dare do that, Dad. Because that child is begging for an example in their life. They don't want to be preached to all the time. But you speak truth to them. And you live truth in front of them. And you admonish them on what's right. And it doesn't matter if they like it or want to hear it or not. They're going to hear it from you because you love them. And you're connecting with them. And when you come to church, they're going to go meet Mr. Ray Meese. I'm going to embarrass Ray for a minute. Ray's right over there to your left, my right. And they're going to walk up to Ray, and Ray's going to go, Young man, your father loves you. And what he told you to do is exactly what you'll see was right in a few years, because that's the kind of man Ray is. And you know what your child's going to do? He's going to come home and go, You know what Mr. Meese told me? He told me A, B, and C. And as a dad, you're going to go, Saying that for 16 years, you hardhead. But he's going to listen. It's going to, you want to know why? Because he's connected. And you, you want to know something else? Can, can I just share this while I'm at it? Churches that love and grow and connect 
begin to serve. You know what they say? They start looking around going, what are we doing in our church to meet the needs of our middle schoolers? I, I know we have something going on Sunday morning once a month. Praise God, that's wonderful. But is there not something else that we could do throughout the week to get involved in these middle schoolers? Like, you know, middle school is a tough age, you know that? Because the high schoolers don't want to be around you. They think you're weird. And you're changing and growing. And, and in two, three years while you're in middle school, you're going to outgrow the high schoolers. Is there, is there something we can do to invest in their life? They need friends. They need something. And, you know, if not me, who? If not, if not me, who? God, are you burdening my heart to serve? What about in the nursery? You know, we've got two services now. By the way, one of the reasons we went to two services, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, is to help promote service in another venue. In other words, some people don't want to keep nursery because they're afraid they'll miss the Sunday morning service. We wanted to give you a 930 service so that you could serve at 1045 and never have to miss preaching. Pretty soon we're going to want to flip and we're going to have some things going on at 1045. We've got two services. You're not going to miss a thing here. You're going to be connected with what's coming from the pulpit. But a healthy church loves, grows, connects, and guess what it does? It serves. There used to be a principle called 80-20. 20% of the church does 80% of the work. Do you know what experts are saying now? Corona is going to change that to 90-10 or 92-8. It's not at Trinity. Not here it's not. Or is it? Is it? You all say no. No, it's not. Because God's going to bring people to this church and he's going to stir in the lives of our people. And you know what? We're going to do what we need to do. We're going to be passionate about what we need passion about because we're going to serve. And then you know what happens when a church loves and grows and connects and serves? It cannot help but to reach. You know, you work with people right now all around your job that struggle in life. Did you know that? I mean, listen to me, folks. People's lives are a wreck. I had somebody come to me a while back, and this is what the man said. He said, in one year's time, I built a $200,000 business. And I set everything up with taxes, and I'm going to make this money, and I'm going to clear. Listen to this now. He said, but I have no idea how to hold my marriage together. I have no idea. I have no idea as a father how to meet the needs of my child. I am a successful businessman. I can do all these things with these numbers. and this. I cannot fix my family. And I'm going to tell you something. There are people in your life all around you that are the same way. Well, I've got news for you. We have the answer. Did you hear me? We have the answer. And it's that top phrase, those four words, pointing people to Jesus. Do you know Jesus tells us how to love our wives, how to raise our children? Do you know this? 
Did you know Jesus tells us how to break addictions? He does. He tells us how to serve. He tells us how to live. He even gives us the life and the passion to do it. You know why I'm so passionate this morning? I want you to listen to me. Because I got on my knees for the past three weeks, and I've said, oh God, if there's anything in my life that's displeasing to you, any attitude I have, any action I'm committing, anything that I say, anything between me and somebody, oh God, you pointed out in my sinful, wretched heart. Because God, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to pastor that way. I don't want to preach that way. And if there's something in me that's displeasing to you, you show me, God, I want to know. And then, God, I want you to let me go to the pulpit with a clear conscience and a love for your people that I've never had since I've been here. And I want you to put your people on my mind and my heart, and I want to pray for them and encourage them and show them what you want to do in their life and you want them to do in the life of other people because I don't think you're done with us. And I want you to know something. That's what I have begged God to do. And I'm not up here this morning because I've drank too much coffee. As a matter of fact, I'm about to quit. I'm up here this morning because Jesus Christ is flowing and living inside of my heart and the Holy Spirit is controlling me. And whatever it takes in my life to get me to the place where I can serve God, that's what I want to be. Whoever I have to forgive, whatever I have to quit, whatever I have to stop, whoever I have to ask for forgiveness, I want to do business with God because God wants to do business with me. And that's called repentance. And my prayer for our church is that this is contagious and each one of us get it, and we leave this place transformed. Energized, encouraged, transformed, and challenged. You know what? I didn't even get through all this, did I? I did in the first one. Here's some stats. I told you that the word disciple was used 272 times in the Bible, 268. Guess what? Only in the first four books. The word disciples never used outside the book of Acts. But the word believer, 249 times, it's used a lot, isn't it? All throughout the New Testament. Then you have the word church, used a lot. Then you have the word brother, used a lot. Then you have the word saint, used a lot. Not disciple. You know what happens in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The word disciple and believer are used... And then when you get into the other parts of the New Testament, which are the epistles for the church and church doctrine and church teaching, you have words like this. Believer, brother, saint, children, members, the church, overcomer, citizens, body, in Christ, follower, imitator. I could keep on going down a list. I couldn't get it on my slide. It's almost like now all these things emerge. This is who we are. And you know the goal of every believer, brother, saint, children, member, church, overcomer, citizen, body, in Christ, follower, and imitator? Do you know the goal of every one of those? It's that they point people to Jesus. 
They point people to Jesus. And that's our goal. Amen? Now let me ask you a question because I have to get through it. The wheel comes next. Patrick, what am I doing? There I am. But here's my challenge question. Will you submit whatever it is in your life that you need to submit? Will you submit whatever that is to allow these characteristics to be true in your individual life so that when you come together and you are a part of this church, we can team up arm in arm to reach our community to point people to Jesus. Will you? Well, the next few weeks, I'm going to be very specific. I'm, I want you all to hear me for a minute. What does it take to love, to grow, to connect? I'm going to, I'm going to hone in. Today I shot with a shotgun, splattered everywhere. Next five weeks, I'm going to shoot with a rifle. By the time we get to the end, we're praying for total transformation of what God's going to do here. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for passion of Christ that lives inside of our life, for truth, for a challenge, Lord, of what you want to do. Help us here at Trinity to understand what you want to do in us individually as believers and then, Lord, corporately as a church to change our town and our world. And whatever hindrances may be in our way, oh God, make them known to us and help us deal with them in a way that you want us to, to break the barrier that the enemy has used to stop our life from growing and honoring you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.